0: Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. If you have your Bibles, open them up to an Old Testament book called Daniel. Now, if you have your Bible on your phone or a tablet, go ahead and turn your Bible on and look for Daniel in the Old Testament. Let me give you a little backstory of what's happening in Daniel chapter 1. So, the king in a place called Babylon... Has taken into captivity Daniel and a group of other young men, and he's gonna set them apart, and they're gonna go through the John Maxwell School of Leadership with them in Babylon. Just seeing if you're awake. Clearly you're not. That was a joke or intended to be one. A little golf clap would be cool for something like that. Just wait to go, Chuck, he tried. Thank you, thank you very much. So he's taken them, set them aside, and they're going to eat separate food, and they're going to learn how to live like the king. So the king has determined, this is the meat you're going to eat, this is the wine you're going to drink, this is what you're going to do. You're going to say it like me, you're going to eat like me, you're going to live like me, and this is the rule of the land because I want you to wind up being little kings like me. Now, Daniel, the problem is that Daniel has made a vow before his God that he is not going to defile his body by eating the meat and the wine of the king. Now, it has nothing to do with the fact that that it's alcohol or that it's red meat. This isn't the issue. The issue is he had made a promise before the Lord that he would not eat what we would probably consider unkosher today. Are you with me? And so he's made this promise before the Lord. But the king has got this chief of staff who has a helper, and the helper is bringing the food to Daniel and his boys. And so Daniel says, I'm not going to eat that food. I'm not going to eat that meat. What I want you to do is feed me nothing but vegetables and water. It's the first time we, we learn about the Daniel diet right? The Daniel fast comes into play in the first chapter of Daniel, and he says, do this. I'm just going to eat vegetables and water, and you can test me at the end of 10 days. Me and my boys, that's all we're going to do. You can feed everybody else whatever you want. You can give them something to drink, whatever they want, but this is what we're going to do, and the guy literally says in Scripture in a minute, he says, when you do that, if you're looking pale or weak, then the king's going to cut my head off. So, you know, he's taking this pretty seriously. So, in Daniel chapter 1, we read Beginning in verse 8, these words. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of the Lord, the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant, who had been appointed to the chief, to, to the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. And the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished, than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided to the others. Now, here's how we put all of this into sense. Now, the context what was written then, when we understand the context and why it was written then, we can understand the context for us today. Don't get caught up in the fact that meat, vegetables, and wine are the issue. These are not the issue. The issue in the story is a lesson that Daniel is teaching to the king and those that want him to be something he was never built to be. And so Daniel has a choice. He and his three buddies, I can go along to get along. I can agree with whatever I have to agree with, and I can become whatever I have to be to get the right raise, get the right promotion, get along with the right people. Are you with me? And so Daniel said, no, that's not my deal. I will not go along to get along. I will not just sacrifice who I'm supposed to be and all that God wants me to be so that you guys can approve of me. And so clearly he and his three boys are swimming upstream, and they're trying to figure out what am I going to do with this. Now, fortunately, what we see here is that the attendant, according to Scripture, found favor with Daniel. Now, how did he do that? Scripture says it's because God did that in his heart. So we know this. Daniel had a standard, and he wasn't going to lower his standard for anybody. But even in that way, he wasn't going to persuade anybody anything. He had to have the power of God behind him, with him, for him, to go ahead of him and to create that. And that's true for you and I. This lesson, this story about Daniel doesn't teach me and you that if we're going to have a great life, we're going to kill it in 2016. We just have to try harder. Trying harder isn't going to get us anywhere. And so when you look at the story, what do you find out? It's all about values. Now, what if we were to stop and say, okay, this is the 24th of January. Most researchers would agree this is the day that most of us give up on our resolutions or goals for the year. We can do almost anything for three weeks and three days, but we're done. And so whatever the diet is, you're done. Whatever the working out is, you're done. Whatever the reading plan is, you're done. Because this day is the day you quit. Now, what if we were to be a people that said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go on. We're going to finish the drill. We're going to make this happen. We're all in. Let's make this happen. I want to be that person. I want to be that lady. I want to be that guy. How do I do that? Well, Daniel says you've got to start with what you value. You see what he said? I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to do what you want me to do to go along and get along. What's going to happen is I, I stand for something, and I better stand for the right thing. You see, all of us are telling our story. And in many ways, all of us are telling the story of God through us. You say, well, Chuck, I never talk about God out in the workplace. I think you do. I would say we are always, every day, no matter what the audience is, we're telling people what we believe we value. Now, what I found in life is anybody, including me and you, we can say to people, this is what I believe. This is what I value. But at the end of the day, it matters not what we say. It is what we live. And you see, what happens to us is we say what we believe in, we say this is what we value, but when we live a totally different way, now we know what you really believe. You see, you can say you believe in anything, but inevitably you're going to live what you truly value. And when you live what you truly value, we will all know what you believe. Make sense? And that's what happens in our life. This is why we put on the right show and we get all holy and righteous and self-righteous. And we show up at church and you come as many Sundays as you come. You, you, maybe you give, you go on a mission trip, you serve in the children's department, the youth department. You do all the deal that you do and you're thinking, okay, I give God an hour on Sunday or I maybe be even giving two hours. And in doing so, I've done my deal. But then you go, go to work tomorrow or you go to the tennis courts or the ball field tomorrow night, whatever you're doing. And then there's a totally different person. And every time we do that, we're telling the story of God through us as we see it. And so how do people know God when they see the story that you're living? And it's a question we ask ourselves because at some point we have to say, what do we truly value? Now, there have been times in my life where I have had a brokenness and heartache and sorrow. And in that moment, I have to fall back onto something that is substantive in my life. And I've determined it's going to be those things by which I value. And my desire is that my life would be in line with what I say I value. Because what I truly value are four things. It's that simple for me. The first one, I I value my relationship with Jesus. Now you say, well, Chuck, you're supposed to say stuff like that. I mean, you got reverend in front of your name, and you got pastor in front of your name. You're supposed to say stuff like that. But you know what I found is I can say it from the depth of my soul because in the times when I've been most heartbroken, in the times when I've been most afraid, in the times that I've been more fearful of life, what I've discovered is he never leaves me. I mean, going across the Sea of Galilee, he was with the disciples, and and it's raining torrentially, and you got clouds and thunder and lightning and waves, and the disciples are scared to death that they're going to drown in the storm. They wake Jesus up in the boat, and what does he do? He stands up and he says, peace be still. In our life, you know what Jesus wants to give us more than anything is peace. We might live in peace with God, with others. That we might be at peace. So I value my relationship with Jesus. You know, the second thing that I value most is my loving affection and adoration for Jenny and our girls. You know, many things in my life have already been determined because I wouldn't want to break their heart through my stupidity. And so you, you can look at my browser history anytime you want because I don't want to break that trust. You can look at this bank account and no, anytime, I don't want to break this trust I, I have an adoration with all six girls, and now with, with two husbands added to it, and June will be five grandchildren, and I, I don't want to make a stupid decision that costs me that. So these are values that have already been determined. The third one is, I never want to stop stretching and learning. I don't, because the minute I surrender my willingness to learn, I've surrendered my right to lead. We're people who constantly need to be stretched and grown. I don't want to stay a baby Christian. I don't want to sit here and be all my life saying, okay, now what does that mean? And what does the New Testament have to do with this? And how does the Old Testament play into that? I want to know what God's doing. I want to know how I play in his redemptive plan of life. Don't you? That means you've got to be stretched. You've got to constantly learn. You've got to open up and let God do what only he can do in our life. And then fourth, I never want to stop being in search for peace and freedom. I want to be at peace, and I want the freedom to live for Christ and do all that he wants me to do. What, what is it you value? Because inevitably, what you truly value, like Daniel, you will show it or you'll prove that's not what you value. There's only two roads here. It's like, like Yogi Bear said, when you come to Fork in the Road, take it. And you know, what we have to do is choose which way do we go. Are we going to prove this is what I really value, or am I going to disprove this is what I truly value? And so I look at this, and I say, Daniel was a guy that we know he wouldn't give up And he would remain consistent. Now, there's a word that I want us to focus on today, consistency. I mean, there are some things in life that are totally consistent, aren't there? I mean, like when you have problems and you call the cable company or or someone, you're going to be on hold for like an hour and three days. That's consistent, isn't it? Yeah. You know what's consistent? Your kid's going to use more data on your plan than you ever intended them to. You know what's consistent? If you eat too many Krispy Kremes, you're fat. There are some things in life that are just the way it is. What is consistent in our spiritual life, though? What happens spiritually to us? I mean, think about this. As we're going to eat the elephant this year, try to succeed wildly in 2016, we have to find some consistency in our life because without it, it's miserable. So uh, I haven't played golf in a couple of years, and I hadn't played golf in a few years before this moment when I played in a foursome over at Bears Best. Now, let me just stop and say, I am America's worst golfer, all right? One of the reasons I'm America's worst golfer is I play about once every three years. Now, you know what? If, if you shoot about a 90 with your collective team, which is really pretty bad if you did that, then there's, there's 360 swings, all right? Now, think about the math there. The last time I played, out of 360 swings, they used one of mine, one you know what that means? I was worthless to that team. You know why I was worthless? Zero consistency. I haven't played since then. Hopefully, I'll never play again. Right? I mean, consistency. And what, what Daniel was, well, he was a model of consistency. And Daniel one. We read about how I will not surrender what I know to be right. I'm going to be consistent. Later on, when we read about Daniel and the lion's den, what did he do? He went and he prayed. He knew that it wasn't in protest. It was a holy habit. Consistency changes the way our day-to-day DNA functions. We are consistent when we concept, just continually live and abide in Christ. Now, when you see that, you realize, wait a minute, Daniel made his choice Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel set his mind. And in doing so, he built consistency in what he valued. What is it that you value? What is it you truly value? There's an old hymn, and and we used to sing it all the time when I was a kid. I grew up in a little Southern Baptist church, and then dad became a pastor, and we were a little bit bigger Southern Baptist church, and that's part of church plants and all kind of things that I had the privilege of being a part of. But there's an old, old hymn called, called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it kind of goes, you know, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You, are you with me? Okay, in the third verse, it says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And truer words have never been more, I mean, really, just think about that. We are a people who are prone to, prone to wander from a God who loves us. The reference here is we are just like the people of Israel in the Old Testament. We, we have a good season, we claim it's all us, and then God has to break our heart and then he draws us back to him. And in doing so, we are consistently prone to wander. But now, in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel had something else to say. The prophet Ezekiel said, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you'll no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. What the prophet Ezekiel is saying to me and you is this. Our hearts are prone to wander typically because we've never surrendered the heart we have and traded it in for a new one that God wants us to have. The prophet Ezekiel says, when you surrender your life, God's going to give you a new heart. He's going to give you a new spirit. He's going to give you a brand new purpose in life. And so what we find ourselves, we're not consistent because we're not consistent in what we truly value. If we truly value our walk with Christ, then he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new passion. He gives us a new fresh wind. He gives us a new life. And in doing so, Daniel figured out, wait a minute, I need to be on his side rather than constantly playing he's on my side. And so Daniel just determined, wait a minute, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to be resistant. And I'm not just going to be resistant, I am going to be consistent. You see, it's one thing to say, oh, no, 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 I don't believe in that. It's another thing to live it. I mean, have you guys been keeping up with the presidential debates? I mean, is that not the silliest stuff you've ever seen in your life? I mean, it's like a bunch of kindergartners picking on each other. I mean, it's the silliest thing I've ever seen. Part of me wants to look at all of them and say, come on, America. Is this the best we have to offer? And I see that, and I think, you know what? They're following what we've been taught to be as little boys and girls. It's all about me. I want mine. And I see life in this little tunnel, and it's all about me. And therefore, what I really value is me. What I really value is us, my own. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't, wouldn't live trying to prove something to someone with a bunch of self-righteousness. He determined this is what I value. This is what I'm going to live. Imagine, if you will, that um, Andy Whaley came and he planted a tree in our backyard. And about three months later, I thought, hey, Jen, this tree would look a lot better in the front yard. So I dig it up and I put it in the front yard. And I wait till fall, and then fall comes around, and I say, man, I, I, I think this would look great on the other side of the driveway. So I dig it up again, and I put it over there. You know what happens to the tree? It dies because there's no root system that gets built. There's no consistency, in it's growth. We just keep moving around. This is what happens to you and I. When we don't plant firmly in what we value and live what we value, we die. Anything that's stagnant is on its way to death. And so when we look at how we live consistently, we have to wonder to ourselves, wait a minute, isn't that how we live our spiritual life? I say, I'm going to come to church this year. I might even read my Bible this year. And then the 24th of January comes around, and it's all heck, I'm, all butts are off. Well, when we have no consistency in our spiritual life, why would anybody want what we're offering? Because we're telling the story of Jesus in some po- possible way in our life, even if it's not it, what you ought to be, what you could be. I did something this week that was so out of character for me. I was a part of a hot yoga class. I just let that sink in for just a minute. I don't want you to lose that image. All of this did hot yoga. Me and 14 exceptionally fit women were in this yoga studio, and it was 90. Two degrees. Ten minutes in, I realize this is where you go when you die without Jesus. <laughs> you know what I realized? I don't know what she's talking about, this instructor. She's super bright. She's super witty. And she's talking about a cat, a cow. She's talking about a dog that's downward and a child position. I... I don't think so. I, I was stretching stuff I didn't know I had. And at one point, this instructor, who again, she, she is, she's on this game, man. I don't know how long she's done this, but it was like, okay, you know what you're doing. I'm trying to do this child pose thing, right, where your knees are bent, you know, your backside's kind of down, and you're stretching all the way out, trying to get your face down on a mat, and, which is a little gross if you think about it. But the, I couldn't get there. It's like I got stuff between me and there right? But she comes by and she puts her hand right between my shoulder blades and she pushes down. And my body is screaming, stop. And then when I got there, it's like, boom, yeah, I got this. When I got done, I was so tired. I was exhausted, partly mentally, because I had no idea what to do. And everybody else in the room seemed to know what to do. I mean, they, these were really gracious people. They didn't laugh at me. I mean, they kind of clapped. Way to go, you know. But then it was all said and done, man. You see, you, you get that om part thing in the deal, you know, where you, you're laying down and the lights are out and you got like the chill music going on. And I found myself praying for many of you that would ask me to pray for you this past week. And I thought to myself, this is what it's like to be stretched. This is what it's like to, to be in a place to, to be where you've never been before where God is wanting in our life to stretch us and to prepare us and to open us up and let us be aware of his goodness and his power and his love. And I thought to myself that I I was embraced by these people who knew I didn't know what to do. And I thought that's the way church is supposed to feel. We're supposed to sit down here, and if you don't know, do I raise my hands, do I sing, what do I do? Is it okay to talk? I mean, what do I do? And I look at both of those and I say, you know, consistently, I want to be a person that really does value my relationship with Jesus. I want to love and adore Jenny and my girls. I want to grow. I want to stretch. I want to become all that God wants me to be. I want to find peace. I want to find freedom. Could I say to you, I want that for you. I want that for our church. If this is a hot mess of a studio... Come in, welcome home. You say, but man, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, of course we are. Church is full of liars. Yeah, of course we are. Welcome home. Let's live what we really believe. Let's value our relationship with God in such a way that we tell that story over and over again. For he is always good and you are always loved. Be stretched this week in the power of of being consistent in your walk with Jesus because he lets it be your choice he doesn't force it on you he doesn't walk behind you and press down on your back and make you he, he says I want you to love me like you're supposed to love a heavenly daddy come walk with me Jesus says and John come abide with me to abide with Jesus is to lay into him and know that he catches you It's to walk with him and know that you are walking in the direction of God himself. To abide in Jesus is to trust him for all that you have and all that you don't have. To abide in Jesus is when the world has given you just everything and has turned into a mess that he'll pick you up and carry you through it. To abide in him is to live consistently in the power and the presence of Jesus himself. My friend today, walk consistently with a Savior that loves you more than you could imagine and wants for you more than you could ever hope for. Father, thank you that you've called us to walk in consistency with you in the power and presence of Jesus the Son, in the power and the presence and the protection of the Spirit of God, and with the love and adoration of a heavenly Father who spoke us into being and loves us and longs for us to abide in him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.